usually uh, usually we're we're greeted by welcome to worship. We don't have any bulletins left. You know, find find a seat. So it was really hard on me to be here early at 9 a.m. Thank you, David, for uh, helping us out. Uh, once upon a time, I, I start this. Uh, my wife Anna's one of the uh, intervarsity folks on staff at the uh, at the Claremont Colleges. So once upon a time, there were three college chaplains. A Muslim chaplain, a Roman Catholic chaplain, and a Jewish chaplain. And they all love talking about how they help people come to their faith tradition. How do people commit to their faith tradition? So they, said all, they all said, oh, you know, we, we do it the best. We, we, we Jewish people, we do it the best. No, 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 we Muslim people do it. No, 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 we Roman Catholics, we do it the best. So they decided to have a competition. Who could do it? How can we make it as hard as we can to help people come to faith? And so they said, all right, this is our goal. We're going to convert a bear true story. So, so they all went out. This is our goal. We're going to convert a bear. We're going to meet back here in a week, and we're going to talk about it. Well, they ended up meeting three days later in the hospital. All three of them were sitting uh, in the same, same room, same ward, and they started talking about how they, their efforts to share their faith with the bear. The Roman Catholic started, he, he was a mess. He was all scraped up. His face was a mess. They stitched him back together. Um, but he said, this is, this is how I start, because this is, this is their question, how do we start the process for how people are changed and come to believe? And he said, I, I started by, uh, I, I found this bear, and I started by giving the catechism. If, if you're Roman Catholic, you know the catechism, right? The, the Protestant version is a confirmation. He said, I, I started with the catechism, and man, that bear would have none of it. And that bear just went at me and beating me, slapping me, and I... I tried to keep him from killing me, and the, the only thing I thought of is I reached in my bag, and I grabbed out my holy water, and I sprayed the holy water on him, and that, and that bear, he converted. Right there on his knees, he bowed down, and we worshiped together. <laughs> and they turned to the Muslim. Well, how did you start the conversation with the bear? And he said, well, you know, I, I, I had the same thing. My, my starting point, it just it didn't work. I, I started preaching. I found a bear, and I started preaching in English, and that bear, that bear would have nothing. And so he was beating me up, and Broke my legs, and he's sitting there with, you know, casts all over his legs. He said, so I, I did what, I, what I, the only thing I needed to do, and that's instead of preaching in English, I started preaching in Arabic, right? Because we know, in, you know, Muslims, good Muslims, you know, Arabic is the language of the Lord. And, uh, and, you know, as soon as I started preaching in Arabic, that bear, he converted right there on the spot. We bowed down, and we started doing the, uh, the, the Muslim call to prayer. And, and at that point, then, they, they turned over to the Jewish guy, who he was the worst off. He was a total, you know, full cast, could barely talk, bandages all over his head. And they turned to him and they said, well, what did you do? How did you start off the conversation to help this bear become, you know, a Jewish person? And he, all he could say was, well, on further reflection, I probably shouldn't have started with circumcision. <laughs> True story, right? Hey, I, I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, but I will say I, uh, I use the term less and less as I go on. So I'm Jack Jackson. I teach at the Claremont School of Theology. Uh, mission, evangelism, and global Methodism are kind of my, my areas. Um, evangelism is the topic that I love the most, but like I said, I, I use the term less and less, and I use it less and less for two reasons. One, a lot of Christians don't like the word. When I say evangelism, uh, I ask the first service, what do you think of when I say evangelism? And, and sure enough, the first person said street corner evangelist. And that's, it's always within the top two. 
If the first person says something else, the second person will always say that. And uh, the, the other reason I don't use it is because as much as Christians struggle with it, non-Christians hate the word. I mean, they absolutely despise it. Once I say evangelism, people tune out. Uh, my wife and I are Methodist pastors. We were pastoring in churches in Florida before we came here 10 years ago. And when I would travel, uh, I used to think it was bad if I was on a plane and someone asked me what I did and I said I was a preacher. You know, that, that shut down most conversations pretty quickly. <clears throat> but I found there is something worse. Professor of evangelism, man, everyone hates that. People will physically turn in their chair away from me when I say professor of evangelism. Uh, Christians, non-Christians, they, they don't want it. And yet, I think it's actually a fundamental idea. Not only for Christians, not only for religious people. How do we share what we find as good news? In our, culture, in our culture today, it is actually really, really hard. How do we talk about what we value? How do we talk about things that are important? And as Christians, Jesus, Paul, the New Testament, even parts of the Old Testament, make it very clear we are called to speak. We are called to share what we believe. Now, this morning, I want to uh, use uh, just two scripture passages to kind of frame our time together, uh, and just real brief. And then when uh, I want to speak for a while, but then I want to save some time to talk at the end. If you have some questions, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, and hear back from you. What I want to do is share some research that I've done and a curriculum that I've been working on that builds on these passages. But I'd love to hear your, hear your thoughts, and you, you can help me. The first passage is 2 Corinthians 5.20, and it's, it's this uh, fifth word that we're going to come back to this morning. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. The second uh, passage is from Galatians. God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal, this is the key word from this one, the key was to please to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. When we say uh, ambassadors, what, what, what do you think of when you think of an ambassador? What does it mean to be an ambassador? This is the representative, okay. Speak for your country, okay. So kind of in, in the sense of a nation, you're the president's voice. You're the State Department's voice, right? You're speaking for somebody else. As best you can, right? You explain, you explain that policy. That's right. You're speaking. Of course, your voice is your voice and your words, your translation, but you're speaking for someone else. You're speaking on someone else's behalf. Speak their language to them in a way they can understand. You're hospitable. Key characteristic if you want to be heard, right? And Paul says, you are Christ's ambassadors. You are Christ's ambassadors. Every uh, year for the last few years when I teach the evangelism course, which I do each year, I'm sorry to do something that uh, my students initially really struggle with. Can everyone hear me okay? Okay. Um, I've, already, I've started asking them as part of the course on the E word to actually talk to someone about their faith. This might seem counter, or this might seem automatic, right? But, uh, but it, it wasn't. And so we started doing that. I said, it only has to be one person. You have 12 weeks. 
You don't have to convert anybody. You don't have to uh, have any miraculous things. All you have to do is talk. This is one of the things that I, I find interesting with Christians. Over the last four centuries, Christians have come to believe that evangelism is inherently conversion, that that's part of it. Uh, it's actually not in the Bible. In the Bible, the word for evangelism, uh, they pick up, the, the New Testament writers pick up on a word that preceded the, uh, the Christian era that was used by Greeks just to say, how do you, uh, just to describe telling good news. So, for instance, before Jesus was around, the Greeks would use the word evangelism if the rains came. If the rains came in, you would go to your neighbor and evangelize the good news of the rain. If, if your uh, favorite candidate won the election, you would go to your neighbor and evangelize that the, good, the good news of the election. If, uh, if, if a war was won, if a baby was born, you would go to your family and evangelize. You would announce, you would tell the story because there was good news that would not be known if somebody didn't tell it. And so the early church said, this is exactly the word we need to describe what Christians do. We go and we tell. Very specifically, they, they, they don't say the only response people are going to give is a conversion. That happened, but the early church never said evangelism is conversion. So we talk about this in our class. And I ask students, you know, just one person, tell your story of faith. You have 12 weeks, you can do it. And what I found is that Every one of my students, they really want to do that. And when I talk in churches, when I meet with pastors, uh, when I'm with uh, groups of folks at uh, meetings, everybody I know, with very few exceptions who are Christians, they actually really want friends. They want to be able to share their faith with their friends. In fact, most of the time when I ask people, is there somebody you know that you would love to be able to share your faith with? Most Christians almost immediately can think of one person or two people. The question is how? How do we do that in ways that encourages relationships, that doesn't break them down? And, and most Christians, I find, and this is true for me too, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of how people will react because I know that one of the ways people react, this has been true since the day of Jesus, this was true for Jesus, one of the ways people respond when the good news is announced is they will reject it. Right? Not everyone responds well. In fact, a lot of people will just simply say, I don't buy it. And we all can have that story, and we're, we're afraid. That's a natural fear, and yet, you are my ambassador. So I asked my students to do this, and th this, this story comes from this semester. When I asked them, my students this semester, who's somebody you're praying for? Well, my, one of my students, she knew immediately who she was thinking of. A friend she has coffee with every week, and has had coffee with her every week for years. And she just loves her to death, and they're both dear, dear friends. My friend is in seminary preparing to be a pastor. Her friend went to worship as a kid, but for a variety of reasons, has never gone back and really has no interest in the Christian faith, but she has great interest in my friend. So, she, so my student, she started praying and praying and praying. And then one day they were sitting at coffee and her prayer was answered. And her friend turned to her and said, you know, I know you're going to seminary. I know you want to be a pastor. We've talked a little bit about faith and church, and, and I understand what you're doing. What I don't know, and what I'd love for you to tell me is, why? Why do you believe this? How do you believe this? 
what really do you believe? And my friend, she came back and she, she, she told the class and she was like, she was so excited. She said, my prayers were answered. This was exactly what I wanted. And then I froze. <laughs> I balked. I couldn't respond. I couldn't respond. How do we tell our story? Not how do you convert, how do you, not how do you try to make somebody do something they don't want to do, not how do you coerce a specific response, how do you tell the story, how do you evangelize in the most beautiful, perfect image of the word, how do you tell the good, good news of a God who came in the life of Jesus, who lived and died and did miracles and healed and rose? How do we do that? How do we, how do we have that conversation? What I want to do is just bring up on the screen, I've been, uh, been working, uh, this is an Enneagram, I should have showed it to you earlier. Anybody, anybody can immediately put that together? Reveal, yeah, you know, I, I should not have put this in the uh, bulletin, you know, this morning and say in the scripture, reveal. This, uh, the, these letters describe, get it, what I see um, today in the United States what I see in Hong Kong, what I see in Zimbabwe, what I see in Australia is six key practices for Christians who share their faith well. Six key practices. Now, I'm only going to talk about two of them, you'll be glad to know. I'm only going to touch on two of them this morning. But what I'd like to do is just share about them, and then, uh, and then again, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on it today. This is part of a curriculum that I wrote uh, last fall that then did a pilot project with in the spring at a church in Tennessee. And, and I'm going to rewrite it this coming fall, and we're going to do more uh, pilot two next spring. And um, I, I just asked Don this morning in the sermon, so he couldn't say no right in front of me. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping Baseline will do this uh, next, next spring. Six practices. These aren't necessarily in any specific order. It's in, it's in your bulletin. I've got some stuff in the bulletin, um, and then I've, a few things that I don't if you want to write stuff down. But the first thing is examine the story of Jesus. I'm just going to touch on this. It's amazing. It's, it, it seems intuitive, but you have to actually know the story of Jesus if you want to talk about the story of Jesus. <laughs> all right? I know a lot of people who talk about Jesus all the time and talk about what Jesus wants and what Jesus expects out of your life and mine, and they've actually not even read the New Testament. Um, you actually have to examine that story, live in that story, know that story doesn't mean we perfectly know it and perfectly understand it, but we have to delve in it. We have to listen to others. This is something I find that, that, that Christians, we're not alone, but I, I know I have a hard time listening really well, and it's, it's a hard thing for our culture. Any of y'all watch uh, Bird Box, the, the, Net, the Netflix movie, right? I, uh, I saw that, and I just thought, uh, I thought it was a fantastic movie, and I just started reading the book, and the book's even better and even more tense than the uh, than the movie, but of course, one of the themes of the movie is it's really hard to listen. We're so caught up in seeing that it's actually really hard to listen today. What, what, do, you, what do you do when you cannot see? That's kind of the, the subject for the, for the movie. This, uh, this came home to me really well this week at Starbucks. My daughter knows this story. She's going to be horrified that I'm telling this story. But I, I was in Starbucks, and... I'm sitting there working, and, and I, you know, I realized I needed to go to the bathroom. But I'm in Starbucks. I don't want to go to the bathroom in Starbucks, so I think, oh, I'll wait. I'll go at home. Well, 
you know, I sit there working a lot, lot longer time. I really need to go to the bathroom. So I go in Starbucks. I mean, I go in the restroom. You know, you do the little code in the, in the uh, door. And, you know, I'm going to the bathroom. When you got to go, you got to go. And all of a sudden, I'm in the bathroom, and I hear the clicking on the, on the doorknob, right? You, you know now the little code. And so all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, oh, someone's trying to get in here. And then I have the, hor the, the horrible recognition that I have not locked the door. I, I needed to go so bad that I, uh, I just didn't lock the door. I just walked in. And, and I hear click, 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 and I start yelling. I start screaming. Don't come in. I'm going to the restroom. Whatever you do, don't come in the door. And, uh, and then I, I hear the handle, and whoever was put in the code wrong. I'm like, whew, good, good, good. And then I hear the eh, 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 again. <laughs> and I start screaming. Don't come in. Whatever you do, don't come in. I mean, this, uh, it ends up being this college student who just graduated. I'm sure she's scarred for life now. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just be, keep her in your prayers. And uh, so she opens the door. She opens the door. And I realized what the problem was. Why didn't she hear me? She had headphones on. And at that point, I said, this is not all my fault. <laughs> If someone's going to be wearing their headphones, I do not claim total responsibility. I claim only partial responsibility. But she wasn't listening, right? She wasn't listening. It's actually really, really hard to sit and listen with somebody. And I find this is one of the real challenges for Christians when we're talking about how do we share our faith. I, I, I know a lot of Christians who spend a lot of time talking, including myself right now, right? A lot of time talking and very little time listening. People who share their faith well listen much more than they talk. I was on a plane of, uh, just a couple years ago. It was a flight from LAX to Nashville. So this kind of tells the, the clientele, right? Very, you know, art, artsy types. And I end up sitting next to an actor uh, who is someone many of you would, recommend, uh, would know recognize, I, I won't say the name to protect the innocent. You come up to me ask afterwards, I'll tell you the name. Um, but I'm, I'm sitting next to him, and he's a, he's a pretty well-known Christian. He's well-known for his faith, I can say that. Well, he's the one person who, when I said I'm a professor of evangelism, well, he was really interested, and he really started to talk. And he spent the next three and a half hours telling me how I should be doing my job and the problem with the church in the United States and blah, 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 never once stopping. Well, you know, they came around with food and stuff, but that, that was it. There was never, there was no listening involved. I, I know that's an issue for me sometimes. Perhaps it is for you. How are, when you're talking with your friends, are you listening to the stories? One, one of the things going back for, uh, for Christians today is that for the last 400 years, the whole idea of sharing your faith for most Christians started with a key question that was the key question for a long time, and that is how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with hell? For 400 years, basically, the last 400 years, that's been the starting point. When I asked somebody what they thought of evangelism in the first service, someone mentioned the four spiritual laws, right? If you're familiar with the four spiritual laws, that's really based on the idea of separation from God of, um, and of, of sin. Now, the last... 100 years, and especially the last 50 years, that's totally changed. The average non-Christian could care less about sin. That's not even a question on their radar. You have to figure that out. And the only way we figure out what their question is, is by listening. Now, of course, sin and brokenness and separation from God is important, and we come to that eventually, but it's often 
and most of the time, actually, not the first question. Everyone has different first questions, and you can only figure that out if you listen, so listen. Uh, real quickly, verify his story by modeling it in your story. Um, very few people are interested in Christian in our Christian faith if our lives don't actually match the Christian faith, right? We, we know this. That's why, this is why it matters when somebody publicly sins, especially a preacher, right? That's, that's just, just an issue. Um, we have to make our story real. Why is it that we believe? And one of the issues we struggle with is that most Christians' lives are not that different from most non-Christian lives. At, Christians commit adultery at the same rate as non-Christians, <laughs> Christians are addicted to pornography at the same rate as non-Christians. The average, the average non-Christian gives more to um, charity than Christians give to church. So a legitimate question for all of us, right, when we're dealing with our friends is what, what is the difference? Why are our lives different? Why should somebody believe? So our, our lives have to in some way model. Uh, announce the story with conviction, compassion, and grace Encourage others to take the next step of faith. Encouraging others to take the next step of faith. One, one of the things that's become clear to me that in the last few years is that evangelism does more than help people convert. Evangelism, telling the story of Jesus, helps people come to consider Jesus and then to commit to Jesus and then to conform our lives to Jesus. And it's telling the story of God and Jesus over and over and over again that does that. The average person will uh, take seven serious conversations before they say yes to Jesus. And that's just on average. Um, I was preaching last year at a church, and uh, somebody uh, came up to me afterwards. He was uh, over, over 70 years old. He had been in the church for a long, long time. He said, you know what, I, I had, and I was talking about those three, those three themes of uh, considering, committing, and conforming our lives. He said, you know, I've been here for 40 years. I've been on the finance committee. I've been the, the, st the staff pastor uh, committee. <clears throat> I've even gotten up and talked about my faith before, but I've realized the last 40 years I have been considering Jesus. <laughs> I have never actually said yes to commit. Now, that, that doesn't always happen to me. <laughs> that, was, that was rare. But the point of it, it's hearing that story. All I, did, all I did was tell the story again. I just told the story again. He had heard the story many, many times, but I told it again. When I, when I talk with students, and I, my guess is it's true for you today too, you'll have so many opportunities to tell the story. Most of the time, people are just going to keep considering, keep considering. The, the question is, are you willing to take, do it again? Are you willing to tell the story of Jesus again so that that time, maybe two years from now, maybe three years from now, maybe ten years from now, somebody Maybe somebody who you've been praying for, but maybe somebody who you've never even thought about will say, yes, I believe. The, the, the data out there is that the average person will consider Jesus for about two and a half years before they say yes. And then repeat the story again and again and again. So I, I want to kind of stop there and see. I'll, I'll close back with a few more words at the end. But I wonder if you uh, just have any thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback on, uh, on what I've shared about this morning. Any reflection, any questions? Because afterwards, 
I, I knew this would happen. Three, three people came up to me and after, afterwards at the first service saying, oh, you know what, I, th this is the question I had. And I thought, oh, that's a great question. It would have been great for everyone. Andrew, all the pressure. Zimbabwe, but Nigeria also. There are there are certainly cultural differences, and so for instance, some one of them is around who gets to talk to who, right? Who is it appropriate even to talk to? And some Asian, some African cultures, you know, a child would never go and have a serious conversation with an adult, for instance, or a uh, a woman would never go and have a serious conversation with a man, or vice versa, right? Based on what it might be. Um, but in each case, that's that's why I try to bring up these principles. At some point, there's a conversation. Um, at some point, people are telling a story. One of the gentlemen who came up after me, I'd never actually met him. He's from Egypt. You know, I'm sitting there. I'd never met him before. Uh, Christian guy, grew up in, in Egypt. And, uh, and one of the things I didn't touch on uh, here today, but ev every person who comes and has a serious relationship with God and Christ, I, I find that they have three significant ex uh, experiences. The, uh, one of them is they have a serious conversation with a person. The second is they read the Bible, and the third is they have some kind of divine, mystical experience, and the order can always change. Some people, they legitimately pick up the Bible first and say, wow, I just have never read this. Um, I, I want to read more about it, and so I, they read it, and then they have a conversation, and then they start praying, and God reveals himself somehow. Um, but the gentleman from Egypt said, you know what, I've seen it actually in, in Egypt where the divine experience happens first, and people in, uh, Christians in Egypt will, um, he was saying, narrate a very similar dream where Jesus comes, and they see Isa, right, the Muslim, Muslim name for Jesus, they see Isa, um, and they recognize him as Isa. Um, now, it's interesting, are, are they all having the same dream because they hear other people talking about the same dream? That I don't know, but people are having similar dreams. They all recognize him as, as Isa, but the, com but the conflict or the, the, the glitch comes in, very few people will talk. They want to go talk to someone about this. They don't necessarily believe in Jesus after having the dream, but they have a dream, and they're, like, they're wondering what to do with it. They can go read the Bible, but in Egypt and some, some other cultures, right, it's just very difficult to go up to a friend, even a friend, and say, hey, I had this dream about Jesus, Isa, can we talk about it, uh, right, because not every culture that is welcome in. So there are cultural similarities, but this whole idea of, of listening, the whole idea of our, our faith, our, none of our lives fully model Jesus, but if they don't model Jesus at all, it's really hard to tell. People just aren't going to believe you. Um, and at some point, the story is always told. The story is always told. I think that's something for Christians that's hard. It's, it's good for us to go back and remember the process by which we consider Jesus, because for most of us, it's actually a pretty long time. Most people, it's at least a year. Some people, it's you know, very quickly, but most of us are actually really considering for a while. But we tend to forget that. We tend to just remember the highlights. It's kind of like when we read the Bible, when you, especially when you read the Old Testament, you read miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And it sounds really good when you're reading the Bible, because it's it's uh, chapter after chapter and sometimes verse after verse, but the reality is there's 30 years between verses. 
um, or 50 years between chapters. And you're like, wow, that's, that is actually the way God tends to work. Over time, slow, it's good for us to remember and give grace to other people as they're experiencing it. Right, right, right. So we'll come back and we'll do this in the uh, next spring. We'll do the the, uh, the whole series in our small groups. One of the things I said, uh, uh, Casey and Brian were sitting over here. One of the things that I've really enjoyed, both Anna and I have really enjoyed this last year, is being a part of a core group. It's, I mean, we've been here for 10 years. We led a core group for a while, but this being in this core group has just been so great for us. Um, so I think part of it is relationally being in community with each other. Um, but I think if, if anything, if you take home anything from today, I'd say, one, that it takes time. Sharing your faith takes time. It has to be done again and again, again and again, again and again. Um, um, and that people respond in different ways. The thinking, really thinking through, right, this is the time when the person is considering Jesus. She's not going to make a decision immediately. And even once she does, we, tell, we still keep telling the story of Jesus because that's how our lives then conform. It's not a, we don't tell a different story of Jesus once a person converts. We keep telling the same story, and that's what helps us conform. Uh, so I think those two things, that we're just recognizing it, that it takes time and that, it's, uh, and that it has to be told. We, we are Christ, again, ambassadors. We are the ones who speak for him. I have, I've heard about people having dreams. It is very rare for someone who has never heard the story of Jesus, who has never read the Bible, and who has never talked to another Christian to become a Christian. That just doesn't happen. God, God does not work by magic. Um, God works through telling the stories and reading the Bible and opening ourselves up to a divine encounter. That's a good question, yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Am I good? Can I can I check it off my list now? <laughs> that's a that's a good question, yeah. No, it's a real one, yeah. Yeah, so if I can summarize, it's can you, can you, uh, can, a, can a person be an evangelist with a, an example of their lives and not with their words? Is that sort of what you're going to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sharon. Well, it's a great question. I, most people I talk to have a similar, similar kind of question. Um, on the one hand, because it's uh, e easier is not the right word, but it's more comfortable to do the work sometimes, right? In fact, uh, almost every year I get a letter from my college inviting me to go um, do some kind of great project, uh, put water wells in Central Africa, um, build, a, build a building in Mexico or something. And I could, I could change a lot of the language, and it would be the exact same projects that Christian groups do. They're just not, you know, but, but Christian groups use the Christian language. But in, this, in essence, it's the same good work, same good deed uh, that a Christian group would do, but it's not a Christian group doing it. In fact, Jewish groups will do similar things. Muslim groups will do similar things. The same acts. So on the one hand, the acts themselves are good, right? I think it's important to affirm that those acts are good and necessary and needed. And that plenty of times in our lives, as all Christians, there's going to be times when we are called to act and not to speak. Um, but that's not evangelism, I would say. Because I think going back again to that, that New Testament and Greek terminology, evangelism was always an announcement. It was always a communication, either written or verbal, uh, of telling this good news. Um, so on the one hand, I want to affirm, A, we are to be compassionate and caring and loving in all that, all that we do. And that is, in essence, a modeling of who Jesus is. But I think one of the challenges today as our culture is less and less identifiably Christian is that our good deeds are not anymore associated with being Christian. So there's plenty of nurses that would be atheists that are going to be very compassionate too. Um, there's plenty of... of uh, plenty of groups that are going to go out and build water wells that are just out of compassion. And, and those acts are not interpreted as motivated by Christian motivations anymore. So I think that's part of our challenge is how do we narrate why? Now, the next place is, the next thing in relation to specifically your question is how do we do that in, in culturally appropriate ways, right? The reality is a lot of times it feels strange. I've had non-Christians come to me and say, my nurse prayed for me, and it just felt weird, right? Um, and in turn, I've had other folks say, you know what? Someone asked me to pray for them, and it was really wonderful, <laughs> you know? So I think that's where you just have to be sensitive. And sometimes we're going to make a mistake and not do it right or not do it well. And um, that's where the prayer, right? This, we are in this season of or talking about prayer, right? And asking God, just like my friend, the student, right? Asking God, how do we open the doors? I think there's going to be other ways where you'll know this is the person to speak to or this is the time. Um, and it can also be just a sharing of this is my experience, this is what helped me, not what do you need to do. Right. Does that? Y'all yeah. are a good group, by the way. You, are, you rock more than the first service. Yeah. Yeah.
yeah, when someone asks, that's like the golden ticket, right? Why, why, why? Yeah, that's very, thanks. I've had similar experience with faculty at, at the at colleges too, right? In the sense that students will come. I've heard faculty, Christian faculty at the colleges say, my students perceive something different about me and they came and asked. And at that point then I had permission to speak in ways that I previously didn't have permission and would have been a little bit culturally um, insensitive to them, at least potentially, right? Same thing in regular work experience, right? In your regular work, it becomes very uncomfortable if you just walk in and start preaching. Right, but if you're, if our lives are different, people will, will ask the question, and then will we speak? Somebody other, uh, Don, you're going to cut me off here in just a minute. That's good, that's good. And then going back to that's one of the things I hope we'll, you, we'll each uh, recognize is that the importance of just doing it again and again and doing it gracefully so that we stay in relationship, right? So, that we, so we give people permission to say no. Or we, or we give people permission to say, oh, you know what, I'm still just thinking about it. Um, but if, if, if we can change our mind from thinking, oh, the spirit works typically one time I think a lot of Christians really think that. I just have to do the right words once and the magic will happen. Um, but if we can think that I'm just a, just, uh, and, and Paul talks about this, I'm just a part of the puzzle here. I've got to do my job and it's just to speak and just talk about the good news. And I may say the good news 10 times to one single person before she actually really even says, hey, I want to hear more. Um, I think if we can see that that's how the spirit works, that'll help us then when the times are tough and someone does reject the message or even rejects us. Um, I'm going to come back, though, to uh, my student. Then we'll circle back to that. One more, and then we'll wrap up. Yes, sir. I would say that, yeah, we're still, uh, we still have issues and we're still growing as people and that uh, even we folks who say we're trying to follow Christ, we're still conforming to that image and that these are areas we're working on. I, I, you know, most Christians I know that struggle... That, that's right. So that's when over time these other conversations are the benefits in the sense of faith and life in Christ and knowing the God of the universe. I was just listening to, uh, what's the philosopher? He spoke at uh, the colleges, the Christian philosopher William Lane Craig. I just was listening to him yesterday. He was being interviewed by uh, um, oh, Ben Shapiro. Right? And I don't listen to Ben Shapiro much, but somebody forwarded me this uh, interview with him. And he was talking about his own con conversion when he was 16. And for him, it was the benefit was all of a sudden he realized that he knew the God of the universe. And all of a sudden he realized the God of the universe loved him. 
Now, that actually wasn't his conversion point. That's what got him to start reading the New Testament. And after he started reading the New Testament and having conversations with Christians, then that's then six months later he came and said, I believe. But it's the, the, everybody has different questions they're asking. And for everyone, I think it's actually a little bit different in the sense of what's the benefit. But for him, the benefit was I know the God of the universe. The God of the universe loves me. For some people, it's salvation immediately is what grabs them. For some people, it's the whole idea that there is a good God, right? I mean, it's not intuitive. When I, a lot of people, when they look out at the universe, their their first thought is, "Wow, this, there's not a good God. There's a lot of craziness and chaos, and you know, terrible things happen to good people. Children die, right? I mean, I, I don't look at the universe and I see a good God. I see a bad. If there is a God, I see a bad God, right? So, for some people, it's that. Everyone has different questions and everyone has different things that trigger for them. The only way we learn that is by listening and being in conversation. Let, let me pause here. I, I appreciate all your questions. I'm happy to keep on talking. I've, I've learned a lot as I've listened to you. I want to circle back and close. And if the band wants to come up, you can come on up. Um, so my friend, three weeks later, we got back in class and we were talking. And she just shared about being heartbroken that, that she didn't speak when her friend gave her the golden ticket, the entree into the conversation. Her prayer had been answered, but she didn't speak. But three weeks later, they were sitting back in coffee again because her friend didn't reject her. Her friend said, then the very next week, we'll have coffee. The next week, they had coffee. The third week, they had coffee again, and her friend said, you know, three weeks ago, I asked you a question. I asked you why you believed and what you believed, and I know you're going to seminary, I know you're going to be a pastor someday, but I really, I would love to hear that, and we just got sidetracked, you know, her, her friend didn't even think anything about it, but her friend said, you know, we just got sidetracked, I, I would really love to hear you share, why do you believe this story, and her friend, and my student, at that point, she just took a deep breath, and she said, well, well, let me tell you, let me tell you. I think one of the promises in the Bible is that if we open ourselves and if we pray and if we're willing to do this again and again and again, the door will be opened. The time will come and someone will ask you, why do you believe? What do you believe? How do you believe? And the God of the entire universe, the one who created it all, is going to be sitting right next to you in Starbucks and he's going to whisper these words and say, you are my ambassador. You are my ambassador.